Hey everyone, welcome to After Contract Hours, the show where we clock out at work to check in on the well-being of the world. I'm your host, health psychology specialist, Courtney Heidorn. Join me as we journey into the realms of the after work sanctuary, where we uncover the gems that truly deserve our personal time, attention, and nurture. Let's get to it. All right, my friend. So really, I'm just going to give you a very quick background. You know, I sent you, you know, documents that you can skim through on your own time. But so I am a middle school teacher. I teach 6th, 7th, and 8th grade health and PE, and then I teach 8th grade elective courses in fitness, like personal fitness. So long story short, what inspired me to start this little project a couple of days ago is I've just been really paying attention to my middle school kids and their eighth grade, my eighth graders, 14 year olds in my fitness class. Not that I haven't in the past, but I've just been more present mentally lately. And I just noticed behavioral characteristics that are Disturbing really isn't the word, but just out of character, right? And being a health psychology expert in training, I, you know, I'm getting my PhD in health psychology. Um, my bachelor and master's degree are in health education, wellness, all that stuff. So I do tend to latch on to those characteristics. And so that coupled with people in my life, you know, the men in my life, my dad, um, my husband, my brother, They've all opened up to me about vulnerability and it's really shaped the way I've looked at society. And then again, connecting that to my kiddos. So as much as it is about girls and body image, I'm definitely going to be interviewing people who want to participate about women as well. Um, I'm really passionate about the men in society and speaking on mental health and speaking on body image because these teenagers are really struggling And if we're honest, so are we as adults. Like, we don't have it right. We're not perfect with it, as I'm sure you understand fully. So I'm really excited to ask you some questions about your experiences with body image from when you were a teenager, your adolescent years, um, into adulthood and how that's kind of transpired for the good, for the bad, you know, just total authenticity um, with that. So, yeah, I'm just creating content right now um, with the interviews that I can get to show my students this semester, just little clips of interviews that I'm doing to show them that I am proactively advocating for this and wanting to make a difference. And um, I took a last thing I'll say before I get onto you is I created like a self-assessment on body image for my kiddos. And I have, I think the percentages where I have 65% males in my classes for fitness and I have 35% females. And of that population, out of all the data, numbers were looking like 57.2% were, you know, admitting that they were more focused on the things they hate about their body. You know, they hated the way their parents made them feel, all the expectations. They compared themselves to their peers, right? So that data was very telling, and I just did that two days ago. So this is just even more exciting for me to just, and motivating to get people like you who are willing and able to participate. And we're going to get rock and roll. And I'm excited to hear your story. Yeah, no, I'm glad that we're talking about this just because I know like we never talked about it. I never talked about it until I, until I started speaking up. So it just was never spoken about in any of my classes. I didn't even know what body dysmorphia was till college. So I think it's really cool that you're having these discussions early because knowing is better than not knowing. So I, I think like once I started to have an idea of what I was dealing with, at least I could focus on like, okay, I'm not crazy i mean there's something that i can actually 
point to and say, this is what's causing this as opposed to being like, I don't even have any idea why I feel the way I feel. Mm. So it's awesome. Yeah. It's really cool that you're, you're doing this. Mm. Well, thank you. It's really cool that you're part of it. So I really appreciate you. So my friends, we're just gonna start with some basic introduction questions. Um, can you please just generally introduce yourself? Like whatever you want to share about who you are, what makes Clayton Clayton? Yeah, so what makes me me? Um, I am, I would just say a wellness advocate. Uh, I really just think that really, that envelops all that I do. Uh, yeah, I train clients online, fitness and nutrition. Uh, mindset though has become a main focal point because I realized that like, if you don't have the right mindset, you're not gonna wanna get up and, and go do a workout. You're not gonna wanna get up and cook a healthy meal. Um, and so uh, wellness really just encapsulating all three of those different sectors and they all play on each other. Um, you know, it, all three impact one another. Uh, I've gotten big into nutrition. Oh, I'm going down a tangent already. I just, I, yeah, wellness advocate. We'll just start there. Um, I also work in residential real estate. Um, I speak on mental health as well. I just got back. Uh, uh, I was in Missouri at the Ozarks um, yesterday speaking at a conference. So, yeah, those, those are kind of the things that light my fire. Where were you speaking at in the Ozarks? I was at Margaritaville. It was the Real Voices, Real Choices conference. So I spoke in front of, I think, like 400 people. Um, it was a really great conversation. I, um, we'll, we'll, we'll touch on this, I'm sure. But uh, I've, I've really gotten to this place of self-confidence and self-love that I've never had before. Um, and, and it's crazy. In the last four months, um, I've, I've developed this new sense of confidence. And from the last time I spoke until now or yesterday, um, I was so much more calm. Uh, I was able to speak from the heart. I didn't have to, I didn't feel like I had to like memorize everything. I was like, I just feel confident enough to go and speak my, you know, share my story. Um, and it was really, really cool. Like the power of confidence and what's gotten me there, all these different things. And, and I do want to touch on that as well. When we talk about biosmorphia, because I, I, I've tried everything to, to fix the problem. Um, and or I say the problem it's, uh, you know, I, I want to give myself grace. I, I, I tried everything that I could do to, to, to make it better for me, more manageable. Um, and what I, what I came across was, was pretty surprising, but, um, yeah, I am a wellness advocate, real estate agent, um, mental health speaker. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. So, and you actually are from Missouri. So tell us a little bit about that, your upbringing, your college, school, all that stuff. Yeah, so I grew up in Eureka, Missouri, um, so where Six Flags is, and I actually worked there. I worked uh, in the fudge factory, so I was right up front stirring the pot of fudge right when you walked in, uh, and then I ended up getting, I don't know if it was a promotion, it depends what you what you think a promotion is, but I ended up going to the water park, and I was the one that handed out the uh, rental, like the tubes, um, and so I worked there. Uh, and, and now I see the, I have an appreciation for it. I mean, it was funny that, that Six Flags was in Eureka, my, my hometown, but grew up there. Um, and yeah, I mean, spent 28 years of my life, uh, like 26 years of my life in Missouri, and then just now moved out to uh, Arizona. But um, yeah, I was, was raised in a household where there's a lot of competition. Um, I, me and my two younger brothers, one's two, one's four years younger than me. We were always competing, always playing outside. Um, and it was just, yeah, household of boys. So you can imagine like all the mayhem that was involved. Um, and, but it was great. I mean, it just, it was really competitive, but it was also challenging because I was going through my, my mental health struggle started in seventh grade. And I was really, that's when I started to compare myself to others, to my peers, uh, specifically to my brother who was two years younger, um, that had things that I didn't have. And I started to, 
um, placed great importance on those things that he had. And then I started to resent him um, because I was angry that he existed, which is sad, but I was angry that he existed because it made me feel like less of, 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 a, of a man, less of a, of a human because my younger brother somehow had more than I did in my eyes. So yeah, it was a struggle for me. And then I started trying to one up him and be better, whatever better meant. So I just started chasing after, um, you know, how can I be better than him? How can I be better than my classmates, teammates, friends? How can I just be better? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really powerful. That's, I'm really glad that you stated that because I guarantee that a lot of the boys in our building have similar struggles in that realm with family and siblings, even with parents, like parent competition and, you know, or the parents seeing their child as competition and placing pressure on them, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So parents, were they, were they both teachers? I think I remember on your season or weren't they teachers? My mom was a teacher, um, special education teacher. My dad is an engineer. So um, no. Yeah. So a little bit different, but, um, but always they were really supportive. Um, you know, I, like, I, I feel like almost, I have to, I, I almost now realize that I, I need to like preface it by saying that because, you know, everything that I tell, when I talk about my, my struggles growing up, it was perceived um, isolation. It was perceived, um, you know, I, I, it was all perception, perception is reality. And so I know that I had a really great supportive, loving household, um, but I didn't, I felt like an outcast. I felt, um, you know, unwanted by, by, by everybody. Um, I now know that I look back at it and I think, well, you know, maybe that was, that's what you thought then. And that, and it matters. And what you think then matters. That's all, that's all at the end of the day, that's all that matters. But, um, I had a really great supportive household. I just unfortunately couldn't see it at the time. Yeah. And very relatable, very relatable. And so then you went on to college football, correct? So you were a college athlete. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, I played for uh, university of Missouri, Mizzou. Um, yeah. I play, I was a walk on, uh, and then ended up getting a scholarship, ended up playing, uh, and then briefly played for the Seattle Seahawks. Oh my gosh. So fun. Yeah. Well, I had a cup of coffee with him. I was, I, I was in and out like a bank robbery. It was so quick. I, I don't even know if you could say I was there. I, I had friends afterwards, like, did you actually go to Seattle? Cause you, you, you were gone for only like two months. I was like, yes, but I didn't take any pictures for whatever reason. I just kind of stayed off my phone. And so everyone's like, we still don't know to this day, but then a couple of photos came out and I was like, see, that's me. Proof. <laughs> I was like, yeah, there it is. I love it. Had a cup of coffee with him. It's so funny. So funny. Awesome. Okay. So I have three more like basic introduction questions and then we'll kind of move on to the specific body dysmorphia stuff. So my second question is thinking back to your experience on both the bachelorette as a contestant and the bachelor as the actual bachelor, right? What three words would you choose to describe those experiences and why? Oh man, I'm wondering. Do you want me to group them like the both experiences together, or do you want me to separate? That's a good point. Um, because I mean, they were fairly similar, but I also had to, they were different experiences. So, do you want me to try to separate them? I mean, I come, then I have to come up with six words. That's a lot for my brain. I think you're on to something, my friend. Yeah, let's separate them. Go ahead okay. and do what, yeah. If I could describe uh, Bachelorette first, I would say three words. Um, for, I'm just going to go, you know, what I found is you got to go with what first comes up because that's the most authentic thing. So, um, fear that, that was the first thing that popped up in my head. 
do you want me to explain why for each of these or just do you okay fear because i was going on reality tv and i had no idea what i was getting myself into so um when i stepped out of the limo and there was 10 cameras like all around me the lights were blinding um i was legitimately when i was walking up to the bachelorette i was like I was in my head. I'm like, am I swaying my arms too much? Like, am I taking too big a strides? Am I breathing too heavily? Like I started paying attention to things I would have never paid attention to normally because I was just so paranoid that I didn't want to look stupid on television. So I was fearful. Um, so that's one, uh, two naive. Um, I, 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 I did not know anything about what I was getting into. Um, and yeah. And so then I, everything, every day was a shock to me. Uh, really every moment and then um uh, the third one for a word i would probably say like well it was it was a thrill it was a thrill um you know i remember when i came off the show like i i, I was so enthusiastic i i was it was everything i never thought it would be but in the best possible way and so i remember just coming off the show with this this energy about me and I thought, man, I'm really going to tackle the next chapter of my life. I really felt like I was closing the, 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 the page or the closing the book and I was going to write a new one. I'm like, this is like the start of my new chapter of my next book. So the thrill, yeah, I would say like that would be the third word I'd use. And then for The Bachelor, um, you know, I got I to gotta say there's going to be some crossover. So fear again, um, this time because I now was the guy. I was the Bachelor and I had it was all the focus was on me um, and, and I wanted to represent again, because I'm a, I'm a people pleaser. I, I was majority of my life. Um, I wanted to re represent myself well, but also my state, my friends, my family, like everyone that ever interacted with me, I, I wanted to uphold a standard of what I believed they thought I was. And I, up until that point in my life, I thought I conducted myself in a really uh, professional manner. So I had, a lot of fear as far as like, can I live up to these expectations, but not just like the, the expectations of my family and friends and those that know me, but like the expectations of the producers, the expectations of the fans, um, the expectations of, yeah, just like uh, all the view, uh, everybody. Um, and it, it freaked me out and it was overwhelming. So um, I guess that would be maybe, yeah, the second word I would use is overwhelming. Um, it's, I just could not come up for air. I mean, things were happening so quickly that I was just reacting. I couldn't even get ahead of things and be proactive. I was, I had a journal and I was writing in it and that will never see the light of day because there's a lot of private stuff in there, but like a lot of things that I can never let get out. But I, it was, you know, the thing that I, I value so much now, I, I, I have it locked away somewhere, but um, it, I was writing and writing and scribbling and scribbling and I couldn't even go back and read it until afterwards. That's how quickly things were happening. I was just like in between film sessions and at nighttime, I would jot stuff down and, you know, I could go back and read, but then more than likely I had to think about what's going to happen next, you know, what happened today. But then I'm like, what happened two two days ago? I still haven't even addressed in my head what happened two days ago. So overwhelmed, uh, was, is another word. And then, um, I'll say number three, the word that popped up is catalyst. Uh, that show was the catalyst for the new me, you know, well, I didn't know it at the time, but it was the beginning of, of, you know, of my personal growth and of my journey towards self-healing and self-love. And if it wasn't for the show um, and really truthfully for the, for the terrible ending that, you know, that I was a part of, um, if, if I would have had a happy ending walking out of there, you know, and riding off in the sunset on a horse 
with my, you know, with my girlfriend or fiance, um, I would have never went down this path to uh, this of this self, this self growth and this journey that I've been on. And then I wouldn't have been able to like speak openly about it and impact others. So uh, that the bachelor was a, was a catalyst towards um, this, this growth and this, this really this, this beautiful journey that, that I've been on that I feel has inspired not only me, but it's helped so many others as well. So that'd be the third word. Um, those were phenomenal words that you used. Love it. And the fact that you were able just to think of those. I'm so bad at those questions. Like when my teaching interviews, like what three words would you use to describe yourself? And I'm like, <laughs> funny. Well, you know, I'm with, I'm with you on that. And this is something relatively new to me, but um, I, I was having a conversation with somebody one day and, and we were talking, it was a podcast. And we were talking about how uh, with rela- dating and relationships, like when you text somebody that you like, but you, you, you like, before you hit send, like if you're just texting a friend, you just type it out and send it out. You don't even think about it. But when you're typing, you know, texting somebody you like, you don't hit send right away often. You like, you sit there and you're like, I don't know if that will like land. I don't think she's going to think that's funny. I don't think, you know, she might think I'm weird for saying that. So then we delete, we, we write something else. Nope. Delete, write something else. Nope. And then we send like the fifth thing. And then we realized that fifth thing wasn't even the most authentic thing. The most authentic version of ourself was the very first text that we were texting. And, and I always found that like, I would, you know, I would type things out and I would lose these connections with individuals. But, and then I was like, but you're, you know, you, she didn't respond to you, but it's because like you said something that you would have never have said in person. So why are you saying it over text? And I realized I was overthinking it at all. I was like, you need to just like go with what's the, what comes out of your head first. And if it's weird to them, then guess what? They were never meant to be. Um, I, I had a really great, powerful, like, uh, powerful thing said to me from a stranger um, who's now a friend. But I met him uh, I, two days later. He, we, he I got we, I just moved in this apartment complex. He's like, hey, we should hang out sometime. I was like, absolutely, man. Gave my number. He was like, uh, he texted me. He's like, hey, let's go sit up on the rooftop and talk, uh, rooftop and just chat. And we sat up there and I told him I was an overthinker. And he said, listen, he's like, you can never say the wrong thing to, or you can never say the right thing to, to the, sorry. Oh, I gotta get this right. I'm going to butcher this right now. Of course you can never say the wrong thing to the right person, but you can never say the right thing to the wrong person. Hmm. And I thought that was so powerful because it was so true. I said, you know, I started thinking about it. If you say something and somebody perceives it incorrectly, but they're the right person for you, they're going to say, yeah, Hey, what did you mean by that? Like, uh, you know, what that didn't, uh, like they would, they're going to ask for clarification. But if you say something to the wrong person, it's just always going to be wrong. So they're just going to like, they're, they're eventually it's just going to fall off. They're going to end up leaving, you know, leaving um, or stepping out of your life, or they're just, there's going to be a disconnect. Um, but I thought it was really cool because it made me stop, like, I was like, I do think I'll overthink a lot. But if I just basically be me, I'll push away people that aren't meant for me, but I'll bring people closer to me that are just as weird as I am, just as, you know, just as inquisitive or whatever. But in order for those people to be drawn close to me, I have to say what's in my head, like what's on my mind, not what I think they want to hear. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's huge. And again, even for adults, like adults need to hear this because so many adults, I think you and I are close in age. I'm 31. Mm-hmm. In those yeah. Category. Yeah. And, but I mean, even my parents have shared with me experiences because they're divorced and, you know, they've mingled and dabbled, back, you know, back in the dating pool. And they've mentioned like, oh, oh my gosh, you know, the same stuff. So it's so true. Like the adults, like we understand that, but like in imagining how these students feel like in this weird, crazy, like impressionable time of their life, like 
second guessing everything that comes out of their mouth, every facial expression they make. And that's how my fitness class is. Like today I was teaching, I was introducing them to CrossFit for the first time and Oh God, it was just so powerful. We had such a great, I had a little lesson spiel about body image, like very short and sweet. Um, but just saying, Hey, reminding you guys, like check your ego at the door. It's not wanted. We're not doing that here. Like pay attention to your body, how you feel. You can work out next to your friend, but don't worry about what they're doing. Focus on what you're, it was just, you could see them looking at each other, like already, like in the wall started to come down when I was talking about that. But when I initially said, all right, you're going to learn about CrossFit today. The boys and the girls are just like, like looking at each other instantly insecure. Right. And, you know, wondering how embarrassed they're going to be trying new things. So yeah. I mean, I, I just had this talk yesterday and my talk was on unaddressed childhood trauma. And for me, it started in seventh grade. And, you know, I, I was like, listen, there's a lot of adults that I've heard say, uh, you know, to their kids, they try to help, but they don't understand they're hurting more than anything when they say, Hey, you know, don't worry about that, that, that girl. Like, you know, there's going to, there's so many other girls out there and five years from now, like you're going to look back and be like, you might not even like even talk to them anymore. You might have a different girlfriend or whatever. Um, it won't matter. Or like, don't worry about being popular. Like that won't matter when you're in college and when you're like an adult or, you know, don't worry about the fact that you're not the starter, um, you know, for your baseball or football team. It's not going to matter when you're an adult. And we all know like as adults that like, yeah, ultimately, well, that's the thing is I, I, I can see where the, that comment comes from of like, yeah, I mean, when you're 40 years old, is it, are you going to go back and look and think like, well, I was the backup you know, on the baseball team, is that still going to affect you? And, and, and old belief was like, well, no, because that was, that was, you know, that was like 28 years ago. Um, but now it's like, no, it does still affect you. It does matter to these kids because that's all that they have at that point in their life. When you're in seventh grade, eighth grade, high school, all you have are relationships, sports, and if you care about them, grades, that's it. Maybe you got it. Maybe you got a summertime job, but like you don't have all of the other, um, you know, obligations and, and you don't have to take care of a family uh, and, and provide for them and, and, and have a career. And like, you just get to be a kid, but that, but those are the most important things because that's all these kids have. So you can't minimize, you know, what they're going through, like, because what matters to them matters. And so um, it's just important that, you know, we are aware of that and that these kids are too, that it's like, no, you know, your problems are serious or what you're struggling with is, is, is important to share. And you have every right to feel the way you do because no, it, it's, it, we're not going to talk about how it's going to, how you'll feel in five, 10 years from now. We need to focus on how you feel right now. Yes. That was, that gave me goosebumps. It's so true. That is absolutely true. And like, as a teacher, I mean, I have 422 students every semester and it changes because I have all the grades and I teach electives. So you know, I'm trying to get to know and build relationships with 422 students. And there have been absolutely times where a kid will come up and invent, but like, it's the wrong time. Like I'm trying to get everything corralled and I'll be like, Oh honey, well, you're good. Like, don't even worry. Like I've absolutely said that and underplayed it before, but that is so true because then there are a lot of moments where I do catch myself and I'm like, pump the brakes, take them under your wing or like tell them you're going to talk about it later. Like their feelings matter because it's so true. And I'm so glad that you said that because a lot of adults, including again, myself needing that reminder as a teacher, even, but parents need that reminder. Exactly. Everything you're saying, like childhood trauma forming so early because of just these little things that we think are no big deal as adults. But like you said, we're minimizing it and that's not good. 
Yeah. And, and I want to just say like, um, people that say, well, it doesn't matter, you know, if you didn't, if you were a backup in, in, in middle school on the football team or high school, it doesn't matter. It's not going to affect you when you're 30 years old. And, uh, it, that's completely false because, uh, I, you know, that happened to me. I can, I can speak, you know, from experience because I was on JV as a junior in high school. I was on the JV football team and I was the starting wide receiver. That would have been fine if it wasn't for my brother, who was a freshman, who was the starting, you know, free safety uh, and, and on varsity. So he was starting on varsity before I was. And, you know, it made me feel like I wasn't good enough. And, um, you know, I also was friend zoned by all the girls. I was called big brother. Um, and so none of them wanted to date me. And so, again, when everyone, when I was told, well, don't worry about so-and-so, you know, that girl, like, you'll end up finding somebody later on in life, and you'll not, you won't even think about that individual anymore. But what the problem was is that in that moment, I didn't feel good enough because I was like, I'm being, I'm being friend-zoned, I'm big brother, no one wants to date me, uh, my brother's better at me than football, I'm not good enough. And so that's what happened, me being a backup and on a football team, me, you know, not, you know, being friend-zoned by all the girls – I didn't feel good enough. And then not feeling good enough led to me becoming a people pleaser. Cause I was like, well, now I want, want to be good enough. So I need to impress everybody around me. So I need to like go get all of this external validation. Well, how am I going to do that? Well, I need to like acquire all these skills. And so what I did was I built up this image of what I thought people would be proud of and, and impressed by. And so that's why I ended up going to the highest level of football. I mean, it worked out in a way that I used my weaknesses and I was like trying to make my weaknesses strengths. And I thought if I just take every weakness of mine and turn them into a strength, then I'll eventually have so many strengths and no weaknesses. And then finally I'll be good enough. Um, and so I worked in the gym. I worked out religiously. I was eating everything to get bigger and stronger and faster. And I made it to the college football. I made it to the NFL. I then went on The Bachelor and I was like, okay, now everyone wants to date me. Like, you know, I'm the most sought after man in America. And I, I thought, okay, I've acquired all of this. And then I sat there at the end of it all. And I was like, I'm, it's enough, right? I've done enough. I finally, you know, impressed everybody, right? And, and I was like, no, it's not enough. I still feel like I'm not good enough. And that's when I was like, how can I feel like I'm not good enough when I've accomplished all of this? And there's people that haven't done any of these things. And not that these things are like so much, you know, so great or important, but there are people that haven't done that went to the NFL. There are people that haven't went on national you know, reality television and yet they're, they're happy and they're confident. They have all this self-love and validation. How can they have it? And I can't. And that's when it hit me. I was like, it's internal validation. You keep seeking external validation and it'll never fill that void. Like you need to finally choose to feel good enough and just, you just need to be able to wake up and say, I am good enough. There's no, nothing else that's going to get you to that point. Um, at least from what I found, I mean, external validation certainly can help you get through tough times, but it was that internal validation that I needed to start reflecting within and start picking apart where are these insecurities and, and, and where are they like, where, where are they manifest manifesting from? And then I need to start addressing each of these things. I need to start understanding the root of the cause of why I feel the way I do. And then once I started doing that, I realized, okay, I'm still harboring trauma from seventh grade, eighth mm. grade. Mm. I, I need to start addressing that. As I started addressing it, I started to uncover why I feel the way I do today. And then having, again, we talked about it earlier, knowing is better than not knowing. The second I had a reason for why I felt the way I did, I was like, now I can address it. Now I can work on it and get better at it. Mm -hmm. And that was just a breath of fresh air because 
when you don't know why you feel the way that you do, that's one of the scariest places you can be. Cause you're like, if I don't know why I feel the way I do, then what can I do about it? I, I don't know what to do. Um, and so you feel helpless. And, and, and I felt like that many times where I'm like, I don't even know what to do anymore. And that's when I went into these dark places mentally where I was like, I can't fix what I am. I'm broken. I'm a mess. I'm, I'm, I'm unwanted and there's nothing I can do about it. And that's when I started to have those really dark thoughts. And so, you know, when you give somebody though a light and you say, Hey, like, look that way, like that's the light, like that's the direction you need to head. That's what's going to help you to, you know, come to this point of realization of understanding, just having like something to hold on to gives you hope. Um, but that required a ton of self-education, self-reflection. So, uh, that, and that dealt with me diving deep into my mental health and saying, okay, no longer am I going for external validation. I need to seek uh, in, internal validation, which means I need to go within me to start finding the answers. Hmm. You're bringing tears to my eyes, truly, because this is exactly the content that the organic content that, again, these kids need to hear in all of us. The world needs to hear this. And it makes me emotional because in a good way. Cause I'm a woman in society and luckily I was raised with a, you know, mom and dad that helped me to learn to be open and be safe, you know, telling them things and going to them about anything. I'm very blessed with that. And, um, as a female be, not only being raised, but also in a culture and a society that embraces women talking about their emotions and it's okay for us to do it. You're not going to be judged. You're safe with us. And like, just knowing like when you, I wrote, I'm writing things down, by the way, like things that you're saying that are really standing out to me, like knowing is better than not knowing. And what you just said about, it's one of the darkest places to be when you don't understand your feelings. You don't, you can't make sense of what's going on in your head and what's hurting. And that's what made me emotional for the population in the world, no matter what age you are. I've never felt that before in my life. I don't know what that's like. And to hear a man right in front of me virtually saying this and Yes, you were, you know, on The Bachelorette, on The Bachelor. That's a, a great thing for you and a wonderful thing. But you're so much more than reality TV. You are a brother. You are a son. You are an educated student. You were an athlete. You're an amazing friend. You're all of these things. But you are a male in all of those roles and how differently society has made you feel and got you to this place of, I didn't know how I was feeling. And that was the scariest place I've ever been. Yeah. That is that's what makes me emotional. Like, I don't know what that's like. And that breaks my freaking heart. Yeah. Well, well you got to think about it. If you were never taught it, then you don't have the words to even explain to yourself. Like, how am I feeling? I mean, I, there's, there's, there's these, you, we, we know like what sad feels like, you know, we know what, what, what mad being mad feels like. Right. But like, what about, um, I mean, just like sorrow. What about, um, what, what about, yeah, like, what about, um, like, what I just said earlier, like, what about not feeling good enough? Like, what does that feel like, right? Like, when we feel angry, we, our heart starts beating quick, we start to get really, like, you know, tense. Um, we kind of know that psychological response when we're sad, we cry, tears come down. Um, you know, it's like, really, like, we get a pit in our stomach. But, you know, those are the things that, like, maybe we, we as men were taught, and, as, and at least growing up, men and women, but, like, what about just like, you know, be feeling unwanted? It's like, what does that feel like? And, and I don't think we ever really had those conversations. So when all of a sudden you're feeling unwanted, but you don't have like, no one's ever told you what that feels like. You just feel off. You're like, I don't feel mad. I'm not sad. 
so what am I? And then you tip like what I did was I was like, well, if I'm not mad and sad, I don't know what I am. So I'm, I'm just a mess. Like I'm just, I, I, and I, and I'm embarrassed by it. Cause I, I, I don't even know how to explain it. I don't know. How, I don't know how to talk to people about it, but I can't talk to people about it. Cause I'm supposed to be that tough guy. I'm playing football. I got to like put me, you know, rub dirt in it, in, in it and just like, keep going. You know, I, I, I'm not meant to like, there was no image of men being vulnerable growing up. Um, every movie I watched, the guys were, you know, they were tough. They were, they were, they were these really strong, big guys, you know, superheroes or football players. And they were doing all these heroic acts. I can't remember a single movie where a man was vulnerable and was crying, but it was shown as a sign of strength. You know, like uh, it just wasn't like there was just movies where like they'd make guys would make fun of them. Oh, you're soft. You're, you know, if the kid was getting emotional. So there was no examples growing up of men that were vulnerable and crying, but were seen as strong uh, and, and were encouraged to do so. It just wasn't even prevalent. So, um, so when you don't see it, but you're feeling something that you don't know how to describe, you start to think, well, I'm just different. And, and I'm, I, I have a problem that can't be fixed because again, I don't even know like what's wrong with me. So how am I supposed to fix something? I don't know that I, that's, you know, that I'm aware, unaware of, but it's just like, we never had any examples given to us. Um, we weren't educated. We weren't given the vocabulary. We weren't, you know, the, the descriptions to say, Hey, if you feel unwanted, like what that, what is that going to feel like? Well, here's the signs. You may like feel that you're never good enough. So when you're in social environments, you're always trying to impress people. You're maybe you're a one upper, you know, those individuals that are always trying to, someone tells a story and like, well, you know, I got a story and, and, and that same thing happened to me. But then like there was a torrential downpour on top of it. And like, you know, all, they, and it's like, where is that coming from? You know, people are like, they don't understand why they're having to be a one upper. It's like, because you're trying to impress people. But why are you trying to impress people? Right. It's like, well, because I, I never feel, felt good enough. I felt unwanted. So when you start to connect these, 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 you know, these pieces together, you build this trail, this paper trail, and then you can go back in reverse where you can start to dissect it and then you get to the root cause. But like when you don't have like the right words and the experiences, it's like, how do you bridge that gap? It's like, you can't, you have to start slowly putting the pieces together to work backwards towards finding a solution. But it's just hard, especially when no one's talking about it. Yes, exactly. And I think even like screw these interview questions, like this is just the most amazing flow of conversation. Like truly it is because this is, I mean, it's a body image project, but it's more than that what I'm presenting to kids and realistically I'm presenting this to society down the road. Like whenever I can, when my life slows down and I get my school done and all that stuff, but like what you are talking about is everything that society needs to hear. And I've been, just to share briefly, um, like how impactful you are going to be in other men and women that I interview. You know, I had this vision last week of just interviewing people. Right. And I messaged you on Instagram and by the grace of God, you saw it and reached back out. I could get emotional about that. Also moving on. Um, I had a small vision. I'm going to interview a couple of teachers in my building, a couple of coaches, um, talk about, you know, mental health or boys and girls talk about body image, share your experience. Well, when I first put it out there in the school district, I only had a few people respond, which I guess I just had optimism behind it, thinking that a lot of people would see it and be like, yes. But then that was also really, that spoke volumes to me because I'm like, people don't want to talk about it. They're uncomfortable, right? 
and or they just don't want to be do, doing it, which I totally get to. It's a lot of it's time, right? But right, yeah. that spoke volumes to me. And then I was truly, I was driving home after I sent that email out to just the schools, my, my middle school and my high school. And I'm like, who the heck else can I recruit to like be interviewed? You know, my husband is going to do it from a male's perspective and, you know, just people locally. But it just, that, um, I guess, what's the word? Up, upset in a sense, like not getting as many people as I thought encouraged me to think on my drive home from work like I'm just gonna reach out to people that inspire me like no matter who you are where you all are all over the world and if someone bites like fantastic we're gonna roll with it and so I messaged you and then Claire Thomas who's like my biggest you know health and wellness person um, yeah, she's, she's, she's great I uh it's funny like when you mentioned her name she I follow her I met her in person once um at an event she was so kind uh, to everybody that, that she walked up to or that walked up to her and gave them the time of day. Um, I thought, I, I thought it was funny because at, at the end of the conversation, she was like, have we met before? And I was like, no, uh, no, I don't, I don't think we have. And she's like, you look really familiar. I was like, oh, I was like, well, no, we've never met before. And I just <laughs> didn't say, I didn't say anything. And she's like, well, uh, okay, well, it was really nice talking to you, but she's great. I mean, she does so much good and, and, and really does give, you know, all as much time as she can. And I'm not surprised that she reached, you know, she responded. And there's a lot of us that, that really want to use our platforms and want to get the word out there and get frustrated when we were like, Hey, you know, we put a big beacon up. We're like, I want to help. And then nobody comes. And you're like, what, what is the, pro like, we're, I'm not even asking for money here. I'm not asking for any, I'm literally just saying I'll speak my, you know, my voice. And, and then nobody comes around and you're just like, what is the problem here? And it's like, a lot of people don't want to do it because it requires effort. Um, and that's a whole, gosh, that's a whole different subject matter. But like we've, technology has made us lazier and lazier. I mean, it's given us so much access to everything, but we don't have to work as hard for anything. I mean, if you wanted to go get information back in the day, even when I was a kid, or when we were kids, you had to go down to the library. Like you didn't have, I mean, we had, and you know, we had to go down and, and, and like grab a book off the shelf, find, we had to find it first and then pull it off the shelf and then take it home and then read it and, you know, so the physical you know, effort of having to walk down or get, be driven to the to the library. And then, you know, then we had to have patience with dial up Internet whenever that first came out. <laughs> um, you know, now it's like it's unfortunate. It's no fault to these kids. But like there's no patience because if they're, it's like, oh, my phone took three seconds to load. I'm, I'm hitting refresh, you know, after. <laughs> and, and when we were kids, it, it took 15 seconds, 20 seconds to load. And we were like, this is super fast. This is incredible. Yeah. So there's a lot of things, factors that are at play. Technology is changing, rewiring our brains. And, and a lot of people aren't aware of it. So our attention spans are, are dropping. I mean, there was a study done in 2015 that said, you know, most individuals have the attention span of a goldfish, which is like eight seconds. Mm -hmm. And that's going down more and more. And I mean, if you're scrolling on social media, anybody can, you know, test this out. Start scrolling on social media. And if you, all of a sudden you have that thought to pull yourself out, pay attention to how fast you're, you're, you're flipping videos. Mm. I mean, people are flipping videos like this, like everything is with milliseconds, dating apps, flipping less, you know, a 10th of a second for each profile, you know, you're looking at you know vines. Why was why were vines so popular? Because they were the first six second video. Yeah. So like we like speed, but the problem with speed is that it, it basically, it comes with instant gratification. There is no more delayed gratification these days. Everything is instant. And that's a problem because now we don't have the patience that we used to have. 
And so if you don't have the patience that you used to have, you're not willing to put in the work that takes time to rebuild or change a narrative. And so this is, this is unfortunate, but a lot of people now feel hopeless and, and they're like, I can't change this. And it's like, well, how do you put the effort in? And they're like, I tried. Yeah. I, I tried to do it last week. It's going to take sometimes years. Out, I mean, many, many, many hours and days and weeks and years, but it's no f- fault to this individual. It's just the way our society is and what with access to technology, the only thing we, we can be aware of it and try to fight it. But if you're not fighting it, we get sucked in yeah. and, and you go, you go down this rabbit hole. And then two hours later, you're like, I just spent the last two hours on Instagram um, scrolling mindlessly. I have no idea what I even looked at. And then oftentimes we end up feeling worse because we, we get off after two hours. Like, I feel like I wasted my time. And all I did was look at a bunch of people that, that have lives that I wish I had. Yeah. You know? And what does the algorithm do? Once, once you click one thing, it gives you a hundred similar accounts. So it's like, oh, you like that person's travel vacation, you know, vacation video. I'm going to show you a hundred more. And then you click them and them and them and them. And you're like, man, my life sucks because <laughs> I just looked at a hundred people in 10 minutes that have a better life than me. But it's like that does. No, they don't like they don't have a better life than you. Like they're just showing you the highlight of their life. You have no idea what's going on behind the scenes. But the way the algorithm set up, we're not meant to get the backstory. The, the algorithm is just meant to slam highlights in our faces. And what does that do? We compare ourselves and we think, man, my life sucks because I wish I was on that in that that environment. And it's like, well, maybe you will be six months from now when you go on a vacation. That person probably went on their vacation for the first time in six months. But again, it's like this out. It's just there's all these things that that, that we're fighting against. But if you're not aware of what, what's going on around you, then you're just going to get sucked in deeper and deeper until it's too late. Absolutely. And that's the other thing, like as a health education content teacher, and I teach um, at Lindenwood University and Missouri Baptist University too. And that's why this, you know, what originally started out as such a small vision um, and now is expanding is so, so much more than just my middle school students. Like I'm responsible for teaching college students how to teach our future kids on health and physical education. And so like you said, the word patience and, and you're talking about all this and I was, it's exactly what I was thinking, the instant gratification issue. I mean, I struggle with it sometimes myself with things. This project, like I said, started out really small. I originally had a hard deadline. I didn't say that to you um, because I got rid of it at, before I messaged you because when I messaged you and like Claire, at that point, I'm like, I'm, I'm just putting myself out there. And if I'm gonna do that, this is going to take time and I have to accept that. My original vision was to get this, get a couple of teacher interviews in, be done by like September 8th, put a little wee video together and like show my class. And now I'm like, pump the brakes, absorb what's going on around you. Like this is going to be hard work in the sense of time commitment and reaching out to people and getting rejected and turned down and, you know, feeling disappointed that people don't want to participate. Right. You know, that's part of the growth of this project. And I'm just like absorbing everything that you're saying and I'm writing all these little cliff notes because I'm literally shaking because of how powerful this is and the impact it's going to have on the entire world. And, you know, just in 48 hours with this weekend, I was able to, by the grace of God, connect with you and Claire, a lot more of my friends stepped up and my husband's recording it on an angle. What was, there was this connection. It was, what's the six? Oh my gosh. I thought we talked about it earlier. Something like all you, all it takes is knowing six people, and it takes you. Uh, I would think it's six degrees of separation, but I don't know if that's. Yes, that's it. It yeah. was more yeah. of that. But like, I just reached out to a couple people, and now, 
you know, people are contacting about making a podcast and a documentary down the road, like, you know, because the world needs to know this is my point. And everything you're talking about is not talked about. And the reason I'm saying all of that is as a health education teacher, as a certified health education teacher, K through 12, I teach college students how to teach kids this. And high school students are only expected to take health one semester of their high school year. And this is the class that we're supposed to talk about mental health and train these kids, you know, at a young age and give them these skills and these tools. And that just blows my mind also. So this is also kind of like, as I'm hearing you talk, another thing that just popped in my mind for the impact of this project down the road is just advocating for more opportunities to get this out in schools. And they need, I mean, they need more health. They need more mental health classes. They just, yeah, I really believe that we just need to have more conversations because uh, the pandemic that we're fighting against is a decline in mental health has led to uh, a rise and and suicides. Um, it's led, led to a, a rise in, in depression, anxiety. I mean, all of these things are on the rise. And, and, and of course, like the extreme is suicide, right? Like that's 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 like the, the last step of, of, of somebody going down this really nasty spiral. Um, but a lot of times what, what, what the studies have shown is it's this feeling of isolation. It's, 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 it's not having any, anyone to turn to or having any solutions to their problems that makes them feel you know, helpless. So again, like we having these conversations fights back and, and, and it really goes against the two things, feeling hopeless and feeling alone. Um, and, and by just talking, you know, it makes somebody feel less alone. It gives them hope. Um, and they, and especially if someone that's speaking is someone they can relate to, they go, oh, wow, you know, I, because a lot of us can mask it. Um, I shared the, I, I talk about how, you know, on, even when I was on the show, um, you know, I put a smile on and everyone said, oh, he looks so happy. But I was just putting on a smile because I didn't want people to know how I really felt because I wanted to come across as this strong willed man. I wanted to come across as this guy that had it all figured out. Again, I was like the bachelor. So I wanted everyone to think like this guy's got it all. That's why they made him the bachelor. Um, and so I didn't want people to know I was struggling. Uh, and so I, I hid that, but it, somebody also, again, I just regurgitate all these things that I hear and that, and then I just like, that's what I love about it. I was like, Oh, it's such a great, you know, great comment. I'm like, well, I just took that from somebody else somewhere along the way. But, um, you know, there was someone recently that said, um, check on your happy friends as much as you check on your sad friends uh, because your happy friends may not be actually happy. You know, they may be hurting. Um, and so we shouldn't just try to check on our friends when they're sad and crying. We should still check in maybe once a week. Hey, how are you doing? How's, how, you know, how was your weekend? How, how are you feeling today? Because that one conversation may, you know, get them to open up and it may be the conversation that they needed to have because if they didn't have it, I mean, there are countless examples of individuals that said, um, I, I just listened to the guy. I just watched this video today. He jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge and he survived. Um, but he, he, yeah, he jumped off and fractured like, like multiple vertebrae. Um, but he, he lived and he said on his way, he took a bus uh, to the Golden Gate Bridge and um, – he was standing on the, I guess, at the, at the ledge and some woman came up to him and she just said, hey, can, I think he said he was standing over the ledge. Like, and she just walked up, she says, hey, can you take my picture? 
So he said, you know, he felt like he was unseen in that moment. Like, he's like, I'm here crying, my bawling my eyes out. And this woman comes out to me and says, you know, can you take my picture? As if like, she just has zero, like, doesn't get care. Like, and he said, nobody, I felt like nobody cared in that moment. But what if she would have said, you know, hey, what's wrong? Talk to me. <clears throat> have you heard the story of Kevin Briggs? No. So Kevin Briggs was also really, you know, he was a high, uh, he's a retired uh, highway patrol officer that, that patrolled the Golden Gate Bridge. And he saved over 200 people um, because he would he was he showed up to the, to the scene of these individuals standing over the ledge. And um, the people that ended up stepping back over and giving life another chance, they said that it was his willingness to listen that made them feel seen and heard. Uh, and, and that's ultimately what made them want to give life a second chance. So that was a complete stranger that just had a conversation with them and saved their life. And if you think about it, if a stranger can save your life by just listening you know, what can we do with our friends and family, right? If we just listen, like a stranger can save a life. We don't have to save lives, but could we change lives if we just listened to, to our, or just, you know, asked, hey, how are you doing? Like, just, I just want to have a little mental health check-in. How are you doing today? Like, how's, you know, how are things going? I do that with my friends all the time now. We always say, hey, like, hey how's, your, how, how's your week going? How, how are you feeling? Just how are you feeling, right? That has led to so many deep conversations, because I'm like, oh, yeah. I don't know, man. I'm kind of feeling a little off. And then it just next thing you know, we're talking, you know, something really, really deep that's that I'm struggling with. And then it brings us closer together. You know, again, like you bring those closer to you that are meant for you. And then to those that you say things to that push them away, well, they were never meant for you. So it's like, you know, but it's hard as at a young age, kids think, well, I don't want to isolate, push kids away. But it's like mental health is hard because the brain's still developing at that age. So these kids don't even have, I mean, no, it's like, it is what it is, but they don't, most of them don't have emotional maturity because yeah. they're just, their brains aren't at that point yet. They just haven't fully developed. So trying to have that conversation is an uphill battle because they're just not there yet and in in developmentally, but, um, but it doesn't mean that we can't have the conversations. It's just understanding that, Hey, like you're going through these major changes right now, you know, your body, your brain. So just like, let's just like talk about why that may be. So at least you have an understanding so you can go home at night and lay down and go, oh, well, this is happening because, you know, this is the stage of my life that I'm in and this is what happens to other 13 to 14 year olds. Yeah. So I'm not, a, I'm not alone. Right. Absolutely. And even like I was teaching health today, one of my, I think it was my sixth six grade kids or seventh, I don't remember, but you know, another reason why I was inspired to like start something on this again, it's about girls too, but more I am I'm a little bit more eager to learn more about the guys because I'm very in the dark about what you guys go through right but you know I catch myself when I'm teaching because sometimes certain boys in my class are just really hyperactive that's a very natural thing in that compared to girls and you know sometimes I struggle to connect to certain male students because I'm so quick to be like dude pump the brakes like take a breath sit down and then I move on and it's okay to do that. Sometimes I have to do that to move on and, you know, they have to quit, but then revisiting that and going up to them later and just saying, are we doing okay today? Like you're kind of all over the place. What's up? Like just checking in and modeling that more and like teachers need to do it more, but everybody, parents need to do that more. Right. I, well, we, I just, we just need to ask more questions. And I think that's like what I found has really helped me out is becoming more mindful um, like when I went to therapy, I, f I found out that therapy was guided mindfulness. Um, like that's the best way I can describe it. So I, I, I thought that I go to therapy and they were going to give me solutions to all my problems, but she just kept asking more questions. And I'm like, Hey, when do the solutions happen? Like, when are you going to start telling me 
like I get it. You got to ask me questions and get my story out of me. But now you have all my story. Why aren't you telling me, you know, what I should do? And she just said, because I'm not going to tell you what you're going to do. I'm going to ask you the questions until you figure out what you should do. And I, I was like, wow, that is incredible because that's what mindfulness is. And we're all different. But if we, we need, we don't, we need to spend more time asking ourselves questions because only we understand ourselves. I mean, we understand ourselves more than anybody else, but maybe we don't understand ourselves because we never ask ourselves questions. Like, cause we were told growing up, like, don't talk to yourself. That's weird. So, you know, you don't have to sit here and go, well, why do I feel this way? Like say that out loud, but you can lay in your bed at night. Like I do. Or if I'm just all of a sudden struggling, I'm, I'm on my, you know, working on my computer, my laptop at home, I'll close my laptop. I'm like, man, I'm feeling overwhelmed right now. Why am I feeling overwhelmed right now? What's going on? And mm -hmm. I will have this conversation in my head until I figure it out. Um, and, and, but this is like, as kids, we were, we did, we did a great job of this. We always asked why. And it's like, why, why, you know, when you're like two, three years old. And then I think it's unfortunate, but all of a sudden, you know, parents would get upset. Quit asking why it's because I said so. And so like we all of a sudden were basically told, like taught to not ask questions or like quit asking why. Like we were inquisitive and then all of a sudden it became like stop asking, like because I said so. And it's, you know, and it's unfortunate because we should never stop asking those questions because mm -hmm. like that internal dialogue is how you come to a place of realization and understanding. Like you have to ask yourself the questions and, and really why is a good start. I mean, why is like a great starting point? If you're like, I don't know why I feel the way that I do. Um, why, why am I sad right now? Well, you got to take, you know, why am I sad? Did something happen recently, right? Like you have to have these leading questions. You know, did something happen recently? Has something changed, um, you know, recently that, that I wasn't here before? Um, you know, do I am, have I felt this way in the last week alone or has it been the last few months? Like understanding the frequency of it, I mean, then you start to build a narrative of like, oh, now that I think about it, I've been feeling bad for the last three weeks. It's been the last three weeks. Well, what, what happened three weeks ago? Well, I f did poorly on a math test and then, you know, I was grounded for whatever, right? And so it was this at pile up of, tr of, you know, of disappointment or whatever it may be. And it's like, oh, I, you know, now my parents are upset with me. They said they're disappointed. I never actually got over that, but that happened three months ago or whatever, right? So like, but just being able to backtrack. But oftentimes we just react. We go, oh, I don't feel good. And then we like, we just try to deal with like, I don't feel good. So what do we do? We go stress eat or we go turn on a show, a Netflix show, or we turn on video games. And what, all we're doing is distracting ourselves. We're not actually finding a solution. We're just pushing off that problem thinking, well, I'll just push it away and it'll go away. But when you suppress things, they don't go away. They just build up. Right. Like that's why I tell people like we, you, we, you got to address things. You can't suppress. You have to address the issues. Um, but you do that by like getting ahead of them. Because what happens is like things keep piling up. They keep piling up. And then you have this, you know, all of us have different levels of how much stress we, we can subject ourselves to before we hit a boiling point. Yeah. And like there is no there is no magic number. Like when you have five stressors, that's when you become overwhelmed. Some people it takes, you know, 10 different incidences. Some people it takes 100. Um, you know, the stress tolerance is different across the board, but the point is, is like, typically when people become overwhelmed, it's not because of just one thing, it's because of a culmination. Yeah. So, you know, I found that for me, in order to better manage my stress, I had to get ahead of things and basically take one stressor and look at it and go, can I, how, can I let this go right now? Can I address this and overcome it? Yes. I, I figure out what the problem is and I'm able to let it go. 
And now all of a sudden I have one less stressor in my life and it kind of helps me like drop down that level. So now my stress levels drop down. I don't feel overwhelmed and I feel like I can actually tackle the rest. But that just, I mean, that's where it's like you have to be proactive um, and get ahead of these things. But how do you do that? Well, you have to start having these conversations with others and with yourself. Um, and if you don't know how to start, that's when you have to, like, that's why conversations, that's why education, like you and telling your students, like, here are some good guiding questions, right? Yes. Like, that's important because, like, that's, there's some people just need a starting point. They wouldn't even think to ask, when did this, you know, start? And it's like, oh, I guess this started two months, two weeks ago. Well, what happened two weeks ago? And a lot of times when you, when you ask these questions, these kids, they come up with the answers. Like, well, two weeks ago, you know, I broke my leg. And it's like, well, that's, there you go. Like, that's what it is. I mean, that's kind of a drag. That's, 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 that's pretty obvious. But like, there's other examples where it's just, you like, they, they stumble upon it and they go, oh my gosh, I didn't even think about that. It's like, right, because you just didn't even stop to have the conversation with yourself. Yeah. No, that is, I have goosebumps all over. And I, Clayton, I'm, telling you like I didn't even look at this more than like the first two questions <laughs> that was the most amazing thing and I'm I just want to respect your time and my little thing went off but I just want to say like I'm getting goosebumps over and over again because of not only just the heart and the compassion that you have and like who you are as a human being right you're not just a football player you're not just a, a reality star like you're a human just like all of us and everything that you just shared this needs to happen more like what we're doing listening hearing more like the conversations and yes body image is like a huge topic and um i do want to touch on that at some point but like the big umbrella is the mental health and having the conversation and the bigger goal that i'm having is and it's developing is like getting men at a round table and having these conversations and yeah. and doing that together and you know me learning and helping to spread awareness with it because everything you just said is just like the power that would have if just a group of men sat down and I asked questions and let them talk and just learn. Well, let me, let me say this, like, let me tie it all in because everything that I said does tie into uh, body dysmorphia. And I don't, I don't mind. I can, I can go over time here because I, I definitely want to address the main, you know, the main thing that you want to discuss. I mean, I have a call at six 30, so technically I can, I can shower after the calls. Um, so my, the re, everything that I said prior all were realizations that helped me get to a place of self-love. And of all the things that I've done in my life, it was when I finally got to this place where I had this self-confidence and genuine love and I woke up and I was like, I feel good enough. I'm proud of myself for what I have done in my life, for who I am. That is when I started to realize that I wasn't fixating on my body as much anymore. I was less critical of my body. Um, it's fascinating because I have, my body has, has fluctuated all over the place. I've, I've been up in the 25% body fat range, um, which isn't like super high. I mean, there are people like, but I've been up to 25% and I definitely didn't like the way that my body looked and felt. Um, and then I got down to as low as like 9%. And even at 9%, I looked in the mirror and I still thought I was fat. I still hated my stomach. And I thought it was in, like just absolutely wild that I could look in the mirror knowing I did a body fat scan and I had 9% body fat, which is extremely low. I mean, that's, that's ripped. Like by all means, it, like everything says, if you're 9%, you're jacked. 
it did not matter. I looked in the mirror and I was like, you have a fat stomach. And I, and, and I was, I would sit there and I go, how can I say I'm fat dude when you're 9%? Like it doesn't make any sense. And, and, but that's when I realized it was like, it was never body dysmorphia was never going to be managed by me getting into the best shape of my life. It didn't happen that way. It wasn't going to be by me like accomplishing some super, you know, some feat of strength. I was super strong at some point, didn't feel like any better about my body. I still hated the way it looked. And what happened was, is when I got to this place of self-love, my body is not 9% anymore. I'm maybe 10 or 11%. I'm not bad, but as you get older, it's kind of harder to, to maintain a low body fat, right? Um, but like, I'm actually not technically as in good of shape as I used to be, but I had body dysmorphia at 9%. And I'd say that I'm, I've, I don't know if I've overcome it, but I, I do not, I look in the mirror now and I'm like, I look good, man. Like I feel good right now, but I'm not as lean. I have more fat on my body, but yet I actually am managing body dysmorphia better than I ever have. And that's when I realized I was like, wow, I had to get to a place of self-love. It wasn't about getting to a certain weight. It wasn't getting to a certain body fat percentage. It wasn't getting to a certain strength. It wasn't get, getting a certain amount of muscle on my body or even getting it to look a certain way. I had to focus on the mentality of I need to love myself for who I am and all that I am. Which And, and the second I did that, I woke up and I was grateful for my my face, my body, my feet, my arms, my abilities. And like, I was just like, man, I got a lot of great things to be grateful for. And all of a sudden that, that sensitive part with body dysmorphia, often individuals fixate on one body part. I would fixate on my stomach. Um, and I, I all of a sudden I started looking at my stomach and I was like, I'm, man, I, I look good. Like I got abs. But I had more like big abs before, even better. It was just weird how all of a sudden I started seeing myself in a different light. Mm -hmm. But it all came from me coming to a place of just learning to love myself. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so how did I get there? It's like, well, I had conversations with the right people. I started to dive deep and I started realizing, why don't I feel like I'm good enough? Because there's a correlation between bullying and body dysmorphia. That's when I started having body dysmorphia. I was bullied. In seventh grade, I remember I'll never forget. Like people think these 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 instances are insignificant. I was at a friend's house, and it was like eighth grade, and these girls come over and they're like, "You got to take off your shirts and flex, right?" Like because that's what eighth graders do. And so, so we take off our shirts and we flex, and all the girls are ooing and on. And then they get to me and they're like, "Clayton, flex!" And I was like, "I am." And then everyone laughed, and and then like everyone just like went about the rest of their time there. And I, and I never forgot that moment because I was so embarrassed. And, and then I, you know, I would not swim at pool parties. I would keep my shirt on as much as I could. I didn't want to swim with the shirt on. Cause then I was like, this is a dead indicator that I'm not confident of my body and I didn't want to be a target. So I just sat out and like, you don't you want to swim? I was like, nah, I just, I'd rather just sit down. And it was a good enough like excuse where no one questioned me. Um, but the reality was I definitely wanted to get in the pool. I wanted to swim. I wanted to play like, the bat, you know, the basket, like the water basketball or whatever, like the pool basketball. But I didn't because I was like, I hate my body and I, and I can't jump in the pool because that means I have to take my shirt off and I'm embarrassed by it. But I realized like I, my body dysmorphia started when I started not feeling good enough for others. And so my, it wasn't the fact that I hated my body. It's that I didn't feel I was good enough. And that meant that I had to improve upon everything. And that included the way I looked. Um, and so, yeah, it's like, 
it's just, I guess I want to stress that point because a lot of people think like my body dysmorphia will go away when I get to a certain body fat percentage. It won't like I'm, I'm living proof. It will not. Um, it's like, it's, it's going to come down to, I, you have to find a way to love yourself for who you are. And you're like, well, that's Clayton. That's way easier said than done. Where do I start? It's like, well, you just have to have a starting point. You just have to try to get, and it doesn't happen overnight. I mean, this journey, I, I literally went on this mental health journey for the last two years of my life. And I just about three months ago got to a place where I was like, I think I'm almost fully healed from like all my past trauma. But that took me a year and nine months. Uh, so almost two years of daily reflection, listening to a, a podcast a day. I was listening to Jay Shetty's On Purpose. I love, love that podcast. Um, but I would listen to one of his podcasts every day. So that's an hour right there. I would do about, spend about 20 to 30 minutes of, of reflection time where I, I, where I would just reflect upon how I felt and, and ask myself why. Um, but I would spend probably about an hour to an hour and a half consistently every day for almost two years. And that's what it takes. Like, that's what it takes. And for some people, they get there in a year. Some people, it's going to take them five. But the point is, is I started seeing progression in my mental state after like, just a couple of months. Um, and then I became obsessed with it. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is exciting. I love psychology. Like now I want to like get, I want to go deeper. Like, and, and now, now that I feel like I've dove into my mind, I'm starting to dive into other people's minds. I'm like, I want to know why you think the way you think. Yes. And then when you do that, you realize like you start to, you start to find more commonalities and you start to actually build these, these tighter bonds because when you start to figure out why other people feel they'll feel the way they do, you're like, Oh, I felt that way too. So we have way more in common than what we see at face value. Um, yeah. And that's where like, but you, you, we'd be, uh, people are very shocked. They would be like, we have so many commonalities that we have no idea. Like, because half the time we don't talk about them. We just look at outward appearance. We go, I got, I, my skin color is different than theirs. My hairstyle yeah. is different than theirs. My, I, they're an athlete. I'm, I'm, I'm in the band, you know, or, or I'm an academic and, and you know, they're, they're the superstar athlete. We have nothing in common. And it's like, I've, I've, I've bonded with every one of those individuals on mental health, every yes. single one of them. Mm. Yes, absolutely. And that's the most beautiful thing about it. And that's, again, why we need to keep having these types of conversations with people because a lot of people will not come out on their own and they need to be asked why, what's up, what's going on. And that's like the stuff, everything that you're saying is that, I mean, that should be in a, it isn't a book, but like you wrote a book, but I mean, like that should be like the book that should be the Yeah, wasn't in my last book. Cause my last book was, um, it's kind of funny. I mean, I actually, people, I started preps, I telling people my book is kind of elementary and it was a defense mechanism of my ego because I stopped writing the book, um, back in January and I've had so much growth since January that it's been so mon monumental that I almost feel like my book, um, it was, was just, yeah, very basic. And then I started to like catch myself being like, well, just so you know, I wrote that book, you know, finished it back in January. A lot has changed since. And so you might read it and think like, oh, this is all common sense. I was trying, my ego was trying to defend like, oh, I wish I was still writing in the book because then I would get the more profound things that I've learned since. But, mm -hmm. you know, I, I also realized I was like, no, like you wrote that book. And for some people, if you put the more profound stuff in it right now, you would lose them. Like yeah. you wrote the basics and that's good because like some people just need the basics. Like they, they're like, where do I start? And that's what my book really is. I mean, for, for people that go, okay, Clayton, you know, maybe they, they, you show them this message and they go, so I, I, I got to go, you know, find self-love. Well, that sounds like, I don't even know where to start. 
that's where I'm like, that's where my book comes in. I'm like, I wrote the book because I wanted to, how do you go from a place of self-doubt to self-belief? And it's 180 degrees is the name of the book. It's like, how do you change that? Well, you have to start working in these different areas. And I did, I broke them up into six principles, 30 degrees at a time. And it starts, you know, the first principle is communication, which here you and I are doing, right? So how do I start changing my, you know, the way that I view myself? We'll start having these conversations. Okay, well, after the conversations, what do I do? Okay, then start educating yourself. That's the second pillar. Okay, well, then like after that, what do I do? Well, then you got to prepare to like build upon these things. So, and then you got, and okay, so I got to prepare to like, to, to, to face, you know, to face the battles that I'm going to, you know, the insecurities. Okay. Then what? Okay. Then you have to determination. You got to stick with it, right? Delayed gratification. Like you got to be, you got to be determined to like stick with this over time. Okay. All right. After I'm now I'm determined to educate myself and have these conversations. Then what? All right. Then it's congregation, right? Like then you got to find your support system. You can't, you can't build a support system to, you know, tomorrow, but you can have conversations tomorrow. You can have conversations today, but you can't build a congregation today. Like either you have it or you don't yet. But that's why I put it towards the end of the book. Like the first principles you can do right away and they build upon each other. Then you find your support system of individuals that like to converse and educate themselves and you build that congregation. And then you're like, okay, after I do that, then what happens? And then the last pillar is realizations. It's like realizations. That's when you start having these epiphanies when you're like, oh, that's why I feel the way I do. You come to these conclusions and you find the solutions to the answers that you have always been searching for, but you didn't know where to find them at. But like, that's how you get there. And that's where, like when kids say, I, I hear you, I got to find self-love. Where do I start? And it's like communication, just start talking about it. And that's what we're all trying to do, right? That's what you and me are doing. It's like, we just need to start talking because then you naturally start to take these steps, um, but they don't happen overnight and they build upon each other and they take time. So is that your, like I, your, is that the 180 degree book mm -hmm. yeah. that that is? That yeah. is fire. Like I want to like use that in my class as like an assignment and like build upon that, like a project. Yeah, I would say, I would say uh, if you haven't, you know, get a copy and read it. I just I always tell people this because I, I used to, it's, it's interesting. I, I, I started like really pushing my book out to people. I, well, actually when I was in, uh, well, I am still in real estate. But I'd be at open houses and I would, you know, I would feel I'll have a conversation with people and I would feel inclined to give them a book. So I always carry a copy of my book with me. Mm. And I was like, I'm like, hey, I want to give you this book. Well, I was giving the book to these you know, Christians that I was having these conversations and I'm Christian. And the book has a Christian ending. I mean, the book is not based in faith at all. But like it's I mean, at least I don't really address my, my Christianity until the end uh, and very brief. But I said, you know, hey we had this really powerful Christian conversation or about faith. And I said, Hey, like you should, you know, I, I want to give you this book um, just because the conversation we had, I think you'll like it. And these were hardcore Christians. I say hardcore. Like, I don't, I mean, they just, they were like, you know, they're like, they believe that like you, like they just had very strong beliefs mm -hmm. and the book had a little bit of profanity because of what kids called me names. You know, they called me certain names and, and then I also talked about being in love with multiple people. They didn't agree with all these things, right? So they came back to me and they're like, hey, um, you know, your book, I actually disagree with so much of it because I said that, you know, the book, I said, you know, you can take a lot of this into your own hands and you can make these changes. You have the power within you. But then this individual is like, no, the power comes from God. And so they were actually like, it was interesting because they were actually like um, turned away by the book. And so that's when it hit me. So now I tell people like, 
just read the book first. Make sure that you that you feel it's wor you know worthwhile to like that. You're like, hey, I, I I don't have to believe in everything, but like just before you just hand it out to them. I think it's a great book. I'm very proud of it. But I also am like, listen, this is my story. I wrote this book for me. Um, it was really therapeutic, but I, I wrote it for others too. But like, I don't really know what it is. I mean, I've, I've, it's helped people, but like, and I think it could help kids. And I, that's why, I mean, I hope it does. I mean, I, I, I do hand it out when I speak, but I would just tell you, I mean, obviously like just double, you know, maybe, maybe just read the book before you, before you start right handing it out. I know you will, but I just, I just say that because some people, you know, I found I'm like, oh, like they took that way differently because everybody has their own perceptions. They see things through their own lens. So yeah. how I wrote it, how I wrote it and they may read it differently. Absolutely. No, I think that's fantastic feedback on that. I appreciate the heads up on it. I think just like even your common or your general format, I have the six principles, like those teachable moments like that can be developed into a or a project or a curriculum and like a mental oh, health sure. thing. Yeah, you, you know. can take that and run with it. I mean, it's not like I copy wrote any of those words. I mean, I wrote those words to give people ideas. So yeah, right. if you even took those as a basis and ran and, and built upon it, I mean, I again, I I we all steal from others. I I took all those 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 bits and pieces from people and just formed it into my own little journey. Yeah, but that's amazing that you did that, and this was so freaking fulfilling. That was like that was such. I loved listening to you. That was so great. And I really hope you enjoyed and felt comfortable with this. Yeah. No, I did. I did. I felt really good. I, I hope we got to, you know, the meat or the most of like what you wanted to speak about. I know that we ditched the, the, the questions and that's typically a good sign of an authentic conversation. But I also, um, you know, I'm, I, like I told you, I'm long winded. I still am working myself on um, giving myself grace because I, I feel I talk sometimes too much. I do. I talk a lot. I'm very aware of it. But I, I, uh, I sometimes wish I was more concise. And so um, I hope that, you know, I, at the end of the day, though, I guess, you know, that's going to be the challenge for you is to clip it up. <laughs> because well, yeah, but it's, I invited this. I invited good luck, good luck. Cause like, that's the hardest thing. I'm like, I, I try to clip my own videos and I'm like, Clayton, why did you stop after the first 15 seconds? No, this is, this is what I have to do for my doctor anyways, too. Like I'm going to be sitting down interviewing people and listening to them for however long the interview takes, I would, this is beautiful. This was more than it exceeded my expectations in every way. And before like you go take a shower and continue your day, I just wanted to say if you um, would be comfortable, like, again, this is going to be a long time development process. Like, are you comfortable with down the road? Like if I reach out and maybe we connect again and just kind of touch base, it might be a new mental health topic Yeah, contributing. And then if you even, if anybody in like your friend group or any, anybody in your family that you man male figure wise that you think would be comfortable having a conversation like this and contributing in any way, like just shoot me a text and let me know who, um, if anybody else that you think would be impactful. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. And yeah, I definitely, uh, you know, you have my number. So, uh, if something comes up down the road, like just shoot me a text. I always like talking about this stuff. So it's, it's always something that I'll, I'll make time for. You are an angel. Yeah. And then just, if, again, you can text me and let me know people. Like if you have conversations in the near future, I might check, check in, like touch base with you in like a month, like a you know month or two, just to see, um, okay. when we visit it and we can continue this professional development collaboration. Yeah, no, this is awesome. I really appreciate what you're doing. I think it's cool that like you're getting to kid in front of kids. Cause I never had this and, and I wish we would have had it in our school. So um, what you're doing is incredible. And, uh, and I think it's going to impact so many kids. And like, even if it, it just impacts one, it's, it's, it's worthwhile, right? Like that's all 
if we save one person's life, then it was, it was always worth it. So, um, but I think what you're doing is going to touch way more than just one. So it's, uh, it's really cool. And, and I just commend you for it. Um, and I'm excited to watch it develop and, and, uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm here to, to, to help push it along however I can. Thank you so much, Clayton. I hope you have a great rest of your night and we'll be in touch soon. Okay. All right, good. Talk to you later, Courtney. Bye. As we wrap up another insightful episode of the After Contract Hours podcast, it's time to leave you with some powerful tools and messages that will help to level up your life beyond the workplace. Clayton's influential wisdom is primarily to thank for today's closing points that I have for you. So here they are. Number one, knowing is better than not knowing. Talk to someone you trust. All it takes is one person you feel safe being vulnerable with to help turn things around for the better, one step at a time. Number two, Check on your happy friends just as much as you check on your sad friends. Many of them may just be faking their way through the day and are in survival mode. You could be the person to help save a life simply by acknowledging their existence. And number three, spend intentional time with yourself, learning about yourself. Just as Clayton said today, if you do not know or understand why you're feeling a certain way, it can put you in one of the darkest, scariest, and loneliest places one could be. Learn to be comfortable with being a student to yourself and give yourself grace as you continue to learn.